Good morning, Rob. How are you? Good morning, Marshall. I'm very, very well. Good morning, listeners. And today we have a very, very great guest that's actually a friend of ours, NASA. Do you want to tell us a little bit about our guest today? Oh, he's a dear and valued guest of ours. You know, Miko Pallad is the author of The General Sun, The Journey of an Israeli in Palestine. He also wrote Injustice, The Story of the Holy Land Foundation. He's an international speaker and fantastic friend of Palestine and activist, Miko Pallad. G'day, Miko. How are you doing? Good, good, good. Good talking to you guys. Good seeing you again, both of you. You look very relaxed. Comfortable there, Miko? I'm very comfortable. How about you? <laughs> very comfortable. Now, Miko, you're, you're not in Palestine at the moment. You're in San Diego, and that's a good thing because it means you're not in lockdown because Israel's got the world record now of infections per million in COVID. Apparently, the innovation capital of the world can't keep COVID under control. No, they cannot. They are, uh, the situation is beyond severe, yeah. So what, what are the numbers? It's just so we, we all know, because, I mean, a lot of us don't always look at what's going on in Israel, Palestine. What are the actual numbers that have hit Israel? You know, I don't know the, all the numbers. I just know that lately it's, they've been getting 4,000 cases a day, Oof. new cases a day. And they've already had a lockdown that they opened, uh, that they, you know, that they lifted. But the situation is so severe that, um, and of course, the, the most severe, the most severe uh, situation are among the poorest of the poor and the poorest of the poor are the Palestinian communities of, citizens, of Israeli citizens, yeah. uh, whether in the Nakab in the south with the Bedouin Palestinians who have no access to the information, have no access to water, have no access to transportation and have no access to medical care. And these are citizens of Israel. And the same with uh, Palestinians who live in the northern part of the country, uh, or I should say the central northern part of the country, uh, same thing. Uh, poverty levels are very high. Population density is very high. They cannot build. So you have large groups of people living together. They have no access to the information. The information is not presented in Arabic, which is the language they speak. Um, they um, don't have access to um, or the ability to, to engage in distant uh, learning. So schools are a problem for children, you know, because they don't have the, the means to... Uh, to conduct and, and to, to take, you know, to, to benefit from, from, from that, that sort of learning. If it's not one thing, it's another, isn't it? So, I mean, the, so, I mean, the poorest of the poor, these are, these are, this is the reality. The, the, the ones who suffer the most within the state, the Israeli state, I'm not talking about the PA, are the Palestinian citizens of Israel, of course. And they suffer those fronts, but they also suffer from the, from the apartheid sense of the lack of infrastructure, the hospitals, the care, et cetera, et cetera. Miko, it's the 38th anniversary of Sabra and Shatila, horrendous massacre in Lebanon. We can't not remember the tragedy of up to 3,000 Palestinians surrounded by Israeli forces, ultimately overseen by criminal Ariel Sharon, who allowed the phalanges to just go in there. And, you know, I, I remember Robert Fisk said, to an Israeli guard who didn't want to let him and other reporters into Sabra and Shatila, he said, this looks like Treblinka. In Sabra and Shatila, women disemboweled dead babies, you know, it was an atrocity, it was a war crime. It was a war crime, Sabra and Shatila. And I was very angry. An Israeli officer came up to me and said, get off the street, go over there. And I just told him, I just said something very obscene to him. I'm sorry, I said, it looks like Treblinka in there. I'm not moving. To hell with you. Sharon did more than allow them. Sharon was in on the planning as well. So when he was told in the middle of the night that this was going on, he just waved it off for him. The plan was, was being executed as, as it was supposed to be. So he was fine with it. You know, and the stories of Israelis uh, sitting in the watchtowers, watching and seeing what's happening, reporting to their commanders, the commanders saying, oh, that's fine, Arabs killing Arabs. We, it's it's got nothing, nothing to do with us. But you know, the problem is, of course, that you go, you know, this is, this is, this is you know, 
this all these these years ago, you know, every day Israel is bombing Gaza and killing and killing. You know what I mean? You can't keep up. The massacre is unstoppable. Yeah. It's, it's impossible to remember. It's impossible to keep up. You know, you have Lebanon, you have Jenin, you have Gaza, you have Gaza again, then you have another Lebanon. I mean, there's no end to it. And because Israel continues with such with such, you know, ferocity, with such viciousness to, to continue to kill, the world just goes, okay, you know what, we're going to leave the Palestinians behind and we're going to do our own thing. And that's why, you know, people are amazed that the UAE and Bahrain are signing these agreements to move on and have normal relations with Israel, which really means normal relations with America. I mean, that's really mm-hmm. the whole point. But, uh, and, 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 I, and, and, and on the news here in America, you kept hearing the, 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 the reporters saying, well, they decided to put the Palestinian issue beside and look into the future. They decided to put the Palestinian aside. Well, it's, it's become, first of all, they're not the only ones. I mean, China, Russia, the EU, America, Africa, the entire world has put the Palestinian issue aside and they're just letting Israel butcher Palestinians. But it goes on and on and on and on and on. So people just end up putting it aside because they just can't take it anymore. And I think it's great that you mentioned it um, because we must remember. We must, we must, we must remember. I mean, I remember... I remember when the invasion into Lebanon began, what was supposed to be a 40-kilometer invasion, the, the reports in the news were that it was a 40-kilometer invasion. The soldiers were already calling and reporting from Beirut, which is, you know, <laughs> much farther than the 40-kilometer 40, 40 invasion. And then, of course, everybody was in shock from that. And then you had one battle and another battle, and people are dying, and civilians are being killed. And then you hear of Sabra and Shatila suddenly. Yeah. It's so horrific. And then people move on, and then that's it. <laughs> uh, six months later, a year later, there's something else. There's a new massacre. There's a new tragedy. It's interesting that you say that. The following Sabra and Shatila, the Kahan Commission, the Israeli, if you will, Royal Commission like we have in Australia, found that Ariel Sharon bore personal responsibility. He had to resign his post as defense minister. Didn't stop him ultimately becoming prime minister, etc. Yeah. That concept of the reward from being found personally responsible and ultimately becoming prime minister again. In fact, Israel's been rewarded this past week for 72 years of ethnic cleansing, settler colonialism, because it gets peace with two countries that have barely shot a bullet at uh, Israel. They've killed more of their own citizens than they ever have of anybody Jewish. Why don't we talk a little bit about that, Miko? What, what are your thoughts on that? What are you seeing? Well, obviously, it's a farce. It's a PR stunt for Netanyahu and Trump, both of whom are fighting right now for their political lives, and they needed this airtime, and they needed the, the public relations stunt. And you can see, you know, you have the President of the United States, the Prime Minister of Netanyahu, two very well-known international figures sitting at the table, with these two uh, foreign ministers that nobody, nobody's ever heard of before. You know, I mean, it shows you what, what is going on here. They are obviously in desperate need for PR, desperate need to, for the airtime. And the, Arab, the two Arab states, you in Bahrain, sent, uh, you know, the foreign minister, some, you know, some bureaucrats to, to sign a piece of paper and to deliver a message. But, you know, I, I want to go back. I just want to go back to what you said about Sharon real quick, because, you know, the, the commission found him unsuitable or responsible, and he was not permitted to, to become a minister of defense. He was, however, he did become a minister of agriculture and minister of a few other things, which allowed him to, which are incredibly important strategically, and allowed him to push forward his agenda of heavily, heavily building for Jews only in the West Bank, to push out the Palestinian Bedouin in the Nakab and develop only for Israeli Jews you know, settlements for Israel Jews in the Nakab, which is really the, the entire half, bottom, and southern half of the country. So he was not Minister of Defense, but he was in such powerful positions that he managed to get his agenda pushed in ways 
and to put forth uh, policies that even today, all these years after he's already dead, are still in place and cannot be moved. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, he came back as prime minister because they didn't say he couldn't be prime minister. They only said he couldn't be defense minister. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And being a war criminal never stopped any Israeli from becoming prime minister. So I think it's important to understand that he wasn't really removed from office and then sat somewhere in the corner and, and, and sulked. He went right back and pursued an aggressive anti-Palestinian, pro-Zionist, pro-settler um, and settlement agenda uh, throughout all of these years that he was, that he was um, in the cabinet, in the government, except he did it slightly out of the limelight. It's interesting that you say that because he, in fact, if you want to talk, if there was a concept of a two-state solution and the reality that it might, a concept that it might have ever been real, his quotes of grab every hilltop, these are, we're going to make a pastrami sandwich out of um, the West Bank. As that planning minister, agriculture minister, etc., he actually did more damage to any prospect of peace than he did as defense minister as, with as much blood that was on his hand, as we know, oh. you know, from the 50s when he was in the army. Oh, yeah. When we talk about Israel and wanting peace, I mean, they had an opportunity beyond Oslo 93 and the, those peace accords. The 2002 Arab Peace Initiative gave theoretically everything that they wanted, not just with the UAE and Bahrain, who are two arguably insignificant Arab Gulf countries, but with all the, all the Muslim countries and all of the Arab world. Yes, you know, I think we need to stop talking about Israel and peace in the same sentence. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. I think, you know, this is, this is an archaic notion that somehow Israel and peace can go together. Israel has no interest in peace. Israel has no interest in negotiations. Israel has, no, has, only, has only two things in mind. They want to maintain as aggressive ethnic cleansing campaign as possible and as aggressive a genocide as possible and as aggressive a settler colonial agenda as possible to bring Palestine to a point that there will be no sign that it ever existed. And we, it starts from every village and every town that was destroyed in 48 to entire communities and entire neighborhoods and entire towns and villages that continue to be destroyed even as we speak here today in and around Jerusalem to the grand plan which used to be regarded as messianic and, 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 and a little crazy, which is to build a temple instead of the, in, in the Alexa compound um, and destroy the Golden Dome and so forth. Now, you know, 30 years ago when people said this, you, you know, you kind of said, yeah, this is very dangerous. But of course, this is, this is, this is, these are people are in the margins. These are fringes. Today, those people, number one, are in the cabinet, in the government, not just in the, in the, in the House of Rep- not just in the Knesset, in the parliament, in the government, sitting at the government table. It's scary, isn't it? Sitting in the special cabinet for security affairs. So that's number one. Number two, they conduct these uh, provocations in the Holy Sanctuary on a regular basis. And they used to do these tours where you had 10 and 12 or 12 lunatics try to jump in, try to break in and go in. Uh, I think last year they had over 70,000 people engage in these tours, go on, and these are settlers and these are Israelis. Some of them are completely secular people. They have nothing to do. They're not like the religious settlers, completely secular people who go in order to provoke, in order to uh, aggravate, in order to, you know, show who's boss with the intent of destroying the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the, uh, and the Golden Dome and building this lunatic type of, uh, of, 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 a, of a, whatever they call it, the Jewish temple even to the point where the American ambassador gave a presentation in Jerusalem and in the background, there was a huge graphic of the Al-Aqsa compound without Al-Aqsa, without the Golden Dome. Oh, I remember this. This is how serious. And the point I'm trying to make is 
that this agenda is the agenda. Peace is the most, somehow claiming that Israel has any interest in peace, that Israel will ever somehow negotiate with Palestinians is, it, you know, it would be funny if it wasn't so horrifically tragic and, and, and frightening. The, 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 the goal, the objective always has been and continues to be complete destruction of Palestine to the point that the country as Palestine will not be recognized anymore. It will be all... The way you're saying this, Miko, it sounds almost like it's fait accompli. I mean, are we able to slow that down? What's, what's, what do you think will happen? Well, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're all trying our best. Uh, there's the, you know, BDS is out there. Um, you know, of course, the, the mainstream media isn't working, but, you know, 3CR, Community Radio, like you guys, is doing a great job in putting out the, putting out the information. I just did a, I think, you know, I did a, a series of, of Zoom events with journalists about the importance of the, the alternative uh, media platforms and, you know, how important it is that they get the information out. Just on that, Mika, where can they find all this? Just give yourself a plug where they can actually go and find this. Well, I, I've written about all this stuff. It's all on Mikopella.com. All this information okay, is on Mikopella.com. I've written about it. Um, and so this, I think, I think it's, it's time to come to terms with the, with, with this, with the, with the realization that if Israel is not stopped and stopped aggressively and quickly, uh, this horrific reality uh, will 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 or this horrific uh, vision will become a reality and will become a reality soon. I mean, all three of us, we were in Palestine, you know, we spent time together in Palestine. We were in Jerusalem, we were in other places. You know, th there's still a semblance of a Palestine, even within 1948 Palestine, even, you know, that part of Palestine, you can still see there are still, you know, uh, the Omar Mosque in Tabaria is still there. You know, you see the ancient uh, buildings and, you know, Al Jazeera Mosque in Akka is still there and the old city and so forth. There are still some, you know, symbols, you know, for, for you know, and, and traditions and so forth. But they're changing the names. They're allowing the old uh, historic monuments to fall into disrepair. And they absolutely want to bring down this iconic, the most iconic symbol of Palestine, of Jerusalem. It's been there for over a thousand years. Uh, the Al-Aqsa compound, the Al-Aqsa mosque and the Al-Aqsa compound and the, you know, the, uh, and the Golden Dome, they want it destroyed. And they have this vision of some of this, of this imaginary uh, mythical Jewish temple that they say once sat there. This is how severe this is. I don't think people really understand how severe this is. Israel wants peace is, 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 is a horrific idea, is a horrific thing to say. The third temple, as you said, they had the American ambassador speak. And not only that, you know, the government has programs. The government has programs sponsored by the government that trains young people for the day that they will have to serve the temple, how you make the sacrifice and how you purify the water and how you do this and how you do this. Government-sponsored programs, my friends, paid for by taxpayers for people who choose um, national service instead of the military. This is one of the options they have to learn how to uh, operate the, the temple once it's upon us. My goodness. This is not some, some crazy idea. There's millions and millions of dollars invested in this. They have a whole plan. There's an architect that, that devised an entire plan of the greater Jerusalem corridor that starts in Ramallah in the north, goes all the way to Bethlehem in the south, with Jerusalem, of course, and the temple in the center. These are things that are being planned, that are being paid for, that are, being, uh, that are in the works. The man who is today the minister for Jerusalem affairs, 
Rafi Peretz. He is one of the people who are part of this messianic crazy movement to build a new temple, the third temple. And, and it's completely supported by the evangelical Christian Zionists. And they were the ones that got Trump up. And when Trump moved the embassy, he was very explicit in saying, I did this for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, crazy fundamental Christian right. Yeah. And, and there's a dissidence between it. So the Christian Zionist actually wants the third temple and the ingathering because then they believe the Muslims will come and that'll foretell Armageddon. So the, the, Christian, the Christian Zionist is an anti-Semite in that you guys all need to die or become Christians for the Messiah to return. Craziest of bedfellows. Yeah, completely. Yeah, it's, a hor- it's, it's horrifying. It's horrifying. It's happening every day. It's happening on our watch. It's happening in broad daylight. Yeah. I mean, we saw it happen. You and I were in Jerusalem together in the old city. You know, Robert and I, we were in all these different places. You see it happening every day. You see the destruction. You see the settlers. You see the violence. You see the soldiers. You see this, these, you know, armed kind of civilian militia that work for the settlers walking around with their big guns. There's, there's not even anybody trying to hide it or pretend like it's not the reality. This horror is the reality in which Palestinians live every single day. It's not even about the bombing anymore. It's about the terrorizing of, a, of an entire people on a regular basis, on a daily basis. It's the slow ethnic cleanse of a system yes. of apartheid, yeah. Um, the thing that they haven't that can't be actually reconciled is the steadfastness of the Palestinians to, to a lay Western audience. I mean, Miko, you know, and I know, Robert knows, we've lived amongst Palestinians and eaten broken bread with them. I'm a Palestinian. Well, speak to your experience with the Palestinians. Uh, well, where do, you, where, where do you start? You know, I mean, where do you start? Uh, I'm in touch with uh, young Palestinians in, in, in the Gaza Strip who live in Gaza. I, uh, did, I just did a podcast and also a Zoom event with uh, Wafa Ludaini, she's a young journalist in Gaza. She's remar- you know, remarkable, that's absolutely remarkable uh, to hear her speak. She's got three young children. And so she talks about the issue as a journalist, but I also kind of pressed her on the day-to-day. What's it like when you have three children and there's no water, yeah. no access to water? You have three children and there is no electricity. Um, you know, you need food in the fridge. You have a baby. You need to put his, the, the baby's food in the fridge. There's no refrigeration because there's no electricity. You know, so everything goes bad. Uh, you have to spend enormous amounts of money on purchasing water if you can afford it. Um, yet, you know, they get up in the morning and they go to school and they go to work and they protest and they write and they speak, publish and they talk to the world. I mean, it's incredible. And then, it's, you know, so you've got the Gaza Strip with two million people living in a concentration camp. Uh, being killed, being denied the basic most uh, rights and the basic most services that we take for granted. And in fact, everybody takes for granted if they live a mile on the, or a kilometer away from the Gaza Strip in an Israeli settlement. Because, you know, the southern part of the country, uh, mostly in the Nakab, which is, you know, the majority of, of the refugees in Gaza are actually from, is, the standards of living is very, very high among Israelis there. Mm. You wouldn't dream of not having water in the faucet or having antibiotic for a child with, a, with an ear infection. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't even imagine that. Can you imagine that? No. I mean, can you have your father? I mean, you don't have, you know, you need, a, you need an antibiotic for an ear infection and there, you don't have it. You need to, you know, the child needs a, a bottle, a baby needs a bottle, but the food went bad because the milk went bad because there's no refrigeration. I mean, this is the day-to-day kind of horror that goes on that Israel maintains because it decides who lives, who dies, which baby will get... Uh, treatment and live and which baby will not get treatment and die. And never mind the bombing. This is besides the bombing. This is the day-to-day life, the day-to-day terrorism that goes on. 
Now, on the other side of the Gaza Strip, the Palestinians who live in the Nakab, the situation is not much better. They have, they live in hundreds of thousands of Palestinians in the Nakab, Palestinian Bedouin, without access to electricity, without access to water, without access to medical care, without roads, because they're not recognized, because the state won't recognize uh, their communities, and on and on and on. And you and I have been to Jerusalem. You know what mm. it's like to live as a Palestinian in Jerusalem. It's a horror show. It's, 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 it's madness. It's a terrorizing Every single moment of your life, you're being terrorized by the Israeli forces, by the secret police, by the soldiers, by the settlers, on and on and on. This is the reality, and yet they are there. They get up in the morning and they go to school and they work hard at school and they get their degrees and they get their PhDs and they get the Tavjihi, you know, the, the high school diplomas, and they're competitive and they have, a, they have a vision of a life, you know, and they know their history and so forth. This is, uh, there's something unique about Palestinians. And like you said, you know, we know this, we've been there. You certainly know you're a Palestinian, but uh, it's remarkable. And anybody who's been there and who's been touched by Palestinians, uh, I think agrees and has, you know, has the same kind of uh, sentiments towards Palestinians. It's absolutely remarkable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our listeners can't see, but we're doing a Zoom record here, but Miko's wearing a t-shirt that says, Gaza teaches life. This shirt, you know, the, the quote for the shirt came from uh, uh, Rafif Ziada, who I met for the first time on that wonderful, wonderful tour when we met the first time when I was in, in Australia in 2012. <clears throat> of course, some people weren't there, weren't quite interested in Palestine at the time. <clears throat> I don't want to mention any names, but you and I, Nasser, we were, uh, you know, we, 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 I, 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 you know, you took me for a ride in your car and we, you know, your family was very much involved in this wonderful tour. And Rafif was there and uh, she has a wonderful poem called We Teach Life, Sir. Mm -hmm. And this is at a conference that she came and I was there uh, and Matt Gilbert was there too. And anyway, this is the shirt with the quote from her wonderful poem. Um, but yeah, this is, this is, um, this is Palestine. This is Palestine. What form is your activism taking today, Miko? Well, I'm doing as much as I can with, you know, under these crazy conditions, but, you know, I'm doing podcasts at least uh, two or three a month, uh, about two or three, if I can manage uh, Zoom events, uh, discussing all the different aspects of the, um, the invasion of the Zionist propaganda into life here in America. And I'm sure if you investigate it, you'll find similar things in Australia. Uh, for example, um, the uh, influence that they have uh, on uh, public education, on the curriculum in public education, public schools in America. This is something that I knew about just peripherally. And I had a panel of experts, some were activists, some were educators. And there are special not-for-profit organizations here in America, Zionist organizations that are dedicated and funded to make sure that textbooks in middle, you know, in, in, in junior high school and high school here in America teach a curriculum that is acceptable and has been approved by the Zionists. And, and it goes from state to state and they campaign and they do tremendous work and they pass and they, and they take teachers and they give them these special courses and they special, special credits that they get for these courses and they pay them to come to these courses. And any teacher, and there's anecdotes, you know, uh, countless anecdotes, any teacher who mentions Palestine, who talks about Palestine, who somehow presents Palestine in a way that the Zionists um, are not pleased with, gets reprimanded immediately, if not fired. So we talked about that. We talked about, like I said earlier, we talked about journalism. We talked about textbooks. I did a few, a few series on this, uh, on, on the issue of education. 
we talked about parts of the, the media, the alternative media, and we talked about the intervention in, in, uh, in politics. We, just after uh, you know, the Labour Party in the UK and Jeremy Corbyn were completely destroyed, the Zionists came out and were patting themselves on the back saying, we did it you know, with their nonsense claims, but, you know, heavy, heavy, heavy campaigning, saying that Jeremy Corbyn was anti-Semitic, that the Labour Party had anti-Semitism problems and so forth. Jeremy Corbyn, who was, who was, who was just steps away from becoming prime minister, had a, had a massive loss, an unbelievable loss in the, in the last elections as a, as, a, as a result of this. And of course, the Israeli Minister of Strategic Affairs took full credit for that, Gilad Erdan, who's now coming to the US as ambassador to the United States. Um, so we talked about that and we talked about how they, how they uh, influenced uh, within the Democratic Party here to make sure that, Germ- that uh, Bernie Sanders does not get the nomination and so on. So that's the, that's the kind of stuff that I do. And I write, you know, I have a column on, on Mint Press News. And so I write a weekly column there. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm uh, dying to go back to Palestine and, you know, get, get, get back with all of our friends and, and, and to do all the things that need to be done there. Get back home, uh, we should say, Miko, get back home. Yeah. Miko, the, um, we've only got a couple of minutes left. The Canary Mission, speak to them very quickly, and the anti-BDS laws that are being passed around the United States. Well, the Canary Mission is part of this campaign of scare to uh, weaponize anti-Semitism, to scare people who are active on the Palestinian front. And, uh, and, then, and then you've got the legislative aspect of that, which is passing laws. Uh, throughout the states here in America that make it a crime to call for boycott or, or impose sanctions on, on the state of Israel. Um, this is what they do. I mean, the, Israel, the, the Zionists have, uh, do not sit down and rest for a moment. They are on the go, passing laws, influencing, campaigning. There are new organizations, you know, every single day. I'm subscribed to the Canary Mission, so they send me their, their emails so I see what they're talking about, you know. The, the, just the, the horrible stuff they write about these wonderful young student activists who I, you know, many of whom I know because I deal with them all the time. You know, when travel was possible, I was teaching on university campuses and they organize. And these, these heroic young people, boys and girls, who stand there and demand their rights and demand to speak up for Palestine and demand that the Palestinian voice is heard and then are beaten up, usually pretty badly by the school administration the hurdles and the obstacles that are placed uh, and the fear. And then Canary Mission puts them on this list and describes them as some, you know, horrific terrorism, terrorist, anti-Semitic individuals, which is complete nonsense. It's it's all fabricated, isn't it? Completely fabricated. Completely fabricated. These are the sweetest, nicest young people you've ever met, the most dedicated, the most honest, and the most most progressive uh, thinking. Um, they don't have a racist bone in their body. So that's the Khmer Nation is part of this, you know, it's part of this uh, structure to fight what we do, to fight the, 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 the Palestinian voice. And they are relentless. Have they ever sued for defamation for putting these fabricated lies out there? They're not sued for defamation that I know of, but there's an excellent organization here in the United States called Palestine Legal. Yes. And Palestine Legal has done incredible work incredible work in defending these young people and in making sure that if events are canceled, it happened to me twice that universities canceled my events or wanted to cancel my event at the last minute. They received a letter from Palestine uh, legal and within 24 hours, the events were reinstated. I could not believe the speed with which uh, and how the universities responded and how effective these guys, this, uh, this, this organization um, 
works. They're brilliant. But mostly what they do is they defend these young students when they are attacked um, by these crazy Zionists and, and all these ridiculous claims are made against them. Fantastic. Thank you so very much for catching up with us, Miko. We look forward to seeing you in person soon, inshallah, either here or in Palestine. Yeah. Keep up the good work, brother. Great seeing you. Thank you. Good talking to you again, Miko. And that was our dear friend Miko Pellet who came to us from San Diego. Unfortunately, can't get back to Palestine at the moment. That's another episode of Palestine Remembered. I was speaking to a friend of mine, a dear friend, during the weekend, telling him about our work for Palestine and about 3CR and about Palestine Remembered. And he was surprised that there was, in fact, an avenue for a Palestinian voice. And I said to him how important 3CR was, community radio, that it gave a platform, an opportunity, a voice for those voiceless people, whether it's the Palestinians, our indigenous brothers and sisters, our West Papuan friends. 3CR is so important and it provides such a great platform for those that are ostracized from mainstream media. Remember, it's never been a better time to support Palestine. Tell your friends, listen to the podcast, share the podcast, and make sure you tune in next week. Take care and free Palestine.